I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. We are in West Virginia this week. Congratulations, West Virginia, on like not really having any coronavirus people until recently. I suppose. I suppose. We're all hanging in there. It was kind of fun when I saw the map and I was like, what is that? Is that is that West Virginia? Why don't they have anything? Why is that completely blank? Because West Virginia's strong, I guess. I guess, I yeah. You know, one of those things. So you guys, awesome immune systems. Although, when I was doing some quick facts about West Virginia, I did discover that uh, they apparently have the oldest state population. Really? Yeah, their median age is 40. Hmm. So, good for you, West Virginia. Awesome. Um, some other fun things I learned about West Virginia along the way to getting to our stories. Um, it's the only state to have acquired its sovereignty by proclamation of the United States president. So... That's cool. Okay. Well, I'm assuming that was during the Civil War, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which will play into my story next week. Cool. Cool. Uh, it's considered the southernmost northern state and the northernmost southern state. Okay. I can see that. Right? Interesting. It's also the place where Mother's Day was first observed in May of 1908. That I did know from another podcast, actually. Oh, cool. The first federal prison exclusively for women in the United States was opened in 1926 in West Virginia. Huh. Okay. Ladies first. Was it that one from uh, Orange is the New Black? No, that takes place in Connecticut. I know. It's the one where Martha Stewart was, apparently, is the real one. Inspiration? Yeah. Mm. Uh, 75% of West Virginia is covered by forest. That sounds about right. It's true. When I was doing my research, um, one of the stories I came across had this really awesome like photo spread, and it was about the mining industry, and it looked straight up like something from like the German Black Forest region of Bavaria, like just hilly, yeah. rolling hills and gorgeous trees everywhere. I'm like, oh. You know, West Virginia is a very pretty state, and um, it's funny because it is a big. It's known a lot for like coal mining and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they really do it anymore. <laughs> But they do. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's a declining industry, but it's still pretty prevalent. It's still there. Yeah. Like, and I found it funny because the movie version of Silent Hill, Mm -hmm. Silent Hill was in West Virginia in the movie. They never say where it is in the game, but um, it's based off of Centralia, which I think we talked about before, which is in Pennsylvania, because there are coal fires still burning underneath the town. So fun stuff. Oh, this is interesting. The first brick street in the world was laying in Charleston, West Virginia on October 23rd, 1870 on Street, on Summer Street between Kennewa and Virginia Streets. Oh, right. So that's interesting. I would have thought brick streets were more prevalent, but I guess not because it takes a, quite a bit of technology to make a brick. And a lot of bricks lot to of make bricks. a road. <laughs> I always think of uh, two things when I think about West Virginia, aside from coal mining. Okay. Uh, Harper's Ferry. Yes. And uh, that John Denver song, Country Road. Yes. I was like humming that pretty exclusively while I was working on my notes for this week's episode. Well, Harper's Ferry was something that I looked at as far as hauntings went. So I did not do that one, though. Oh. Well, thanks, Eden. Now I'm sad. Why? Oh, was it your, is it your story? No. Okay. I also thought about doing Harper's Ferry, but I was like, no. I'll try something different. So, Eden, do you want to dive into your story? I would love to, Nicole. Excellent. Okay. So, pack your bags because this week we're going to outer space. What? 
Okay, so we aren't actually going to outer space, but oh. this place does have a name that makes you think that's where we're going. We're actually headed to Star City, West Virginia. That's a cool-ass name. It is a cool-ass name. Star City is home to 1,825 people and is included in the Morganstown, West Virginia metropolitan area. It takes its name from the Star Glass Company that was founded in 1907, so this town is only a little over 110 years old. I looked up things to do in Star City, and I came up with nothing, so I'll tell you what's going on in Morganstown instead, I guess. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of nature things to do, which I guess goes along with my thoughts on what West Virginia must be like anyway. For starters, there's the West Virginia Botanic Garden, which, from pictures I saw, looks beautiful. It has a ton of greenery, uh, and in one picture there was this tree with like a cool carved face. That sounds awesome. There's also a lot of hiking trails as well there. One person did say you can hear the sounds of the nearby gun club, but that's pretty common for places like that. The park that I used to go to in Allentown had the same thing. You could hear gunshots going off. Yeah. Which, I mean, it might just be Allentown. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the West End, so, uh, you know. Uh, if you want to get your drink on, you can go to the Forks and Cheat Winery. And it is also home to West Virginia University. Fun fact, this was also the home of Don Knotts. And there is an epic fucking statue of him in his role as Barney Fife from Andy Griffith. So now I need to go. What? Yes. This is crazy statue of Barney Fife. Is there a Don Knotts festival there? Because if not, get on that. Yeah, you need to get on that if it's not a thing. Because I didn't find anything in my research. But it should be a thing. Because Don Knotts is amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wasn't he also Mr. Roper on? Yeah. uh, Mr. Furley. Furley. Yeah. Thank you. The second landlord on Bruce Company. Yeah. With all the the ascots. Yes. So despite all the natural beauty this town has to offer, it's also where a terrible murder happened back in 2012. This is the story of the murder of Skylar Niece. I want to start by telling you all how I decided on this story. I found a list of West Virginia murders on onlyinyourstate.com, and I got a tingling sensation through my entire body when I read this one, which is usually how I feel when I'm communicating with a higher power or getting confirmation when I give psychic readings. So it made me feel like Skylar wanted me to tell her story. So I decided to dedicate this episode to her and her family as well. Well, let's get down to it. Skylar Niece was born on February 10th, 1996, which is the same birthday as my friend Danielle, but not the same year, of course. Hi, Danielle, if you're listening. I don't know if you actually listen to this podcast or not, but hello anyway. When Skylar was a child, she was this happy girl with a great smile and an infectious laugh that was described more as a giggle, and she seemed to have a close relationship with her parents, and she kept this bubbly personality for her whole life. She's the only child of Mary and Dave Niece. Dave was a product assembler at Walmart, and Mary was an administrative assistant for a cardiac lab. Skylar had a best friend since elementary school, who I will probably refer back to quite a bit. Her name is Morgan Lawrence, and their families became good friends as well. They did, however, have a little bit of a falling out when they got to high school because Skylar found some new friends. I think everybody kind of goes through that as you get into high school. New school, you know. Yeah, larger group of kids to become friends with. You kind of drift apart. Exactly. So Skylar was your typical high school student. She was this very cute brunette who worked at Wendy's, 
It was a job that she really enjoyed. So she worked there after school with her two new best friends, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schof. She was an honor student at University High School where she was a sophomore, and she had big dreams of becoming a criminal lawyer after college. She also loved to read, and all three girls loved their social media, which I will probably talk about a lot too. So she and Sheila and Rachel were all inseparable. They worked together, they would hang out after school, and they all attended University High School. They even started referring to themselves as the Three Musketeers. That's how close they were. It's a lot of time to spend yeah. together. Yeah. And um, like every person uh, that I heard interviewed, um, like all the students mm-hmm. that were interviewed, they all said like, you know, you didn't see one without the other two. The three were always together. Hence the Three Musketeers. Exactly. Except without muskets. Or swords, I imagine. Or swords. I don't know. Just a bubbly personality. Yes, and no weapons. (laughs) Although Sheila had only moved to town in 2010, the girls had known each other for a long time, since around when Skylar was eight years old or so. On July 5th, 2012, everything started out pretty normal. Skylar went to work at Wendy's and came home after a shift like usual. Then, after she was supposed to be in bed, she did something that a lot of teenagers do— and she decided to sneak out her bedroom window and meet her friend Sheila and Rachel. She never returned. She's like, what, 16 16. Mm. The next day, her father came home to have lunch with his daughter, as they had planned, and she wasn't there. So he began to get a little worried, as this wasn't like her at all. He then went outside and noticed a bench propped up outside her bedroom window and noted that the window didn't have a screen in it. He then called her cell phone, but there was no answer. He left her a voicemail telling her to call back as soon as she got the message. He told Mary about it, and she figured Skylar was probably out with friends and would come home and not to worry. They decided to call her friends just to see, but they all said they hadn't seen her either. Mary tells Dave that they'll wait until she starts her shift at Wendy's, and then they'd call there to see if she was there. However, before they could call, Wendy's actually called them and asked if Skylar would be coming in today. Oh, that's that's not what you want to hear. Yeah, that's going to be like heart racing for a parent to get that phone call. Exactly. That's when they started to worry. They then got another call from Sheila and she confessed to them that they had all snuck out last night, but they dropped her off at the end of the street so she could sneak back in without her parents hearing the car. And that was the last that she had seen of her. Apparently, this had happened once before where she had ran off with them in the middle of the night and they had been caught by the police for being out past curfew. Whoops. Yeah. So Dave and Mary began to think that since the stool was still outside her bedroom window, that maybe someone had broken and abducted her, like seeing the opportunity and just going for it. Seriously. The police were called, and they assumed that she had probably run away, even though her father didn't seem to think so since her things were all still in her room. The police get the surveillance footage from outside the apartment that she lived in, and it shows Skylar getting into a car, but they couldn't tell what the car was or the license plate number. Okay. So no make, no model, no license plate. Couldn't tell. Sheila had told them that she was home by midnight, but the footage showed her getting into a car at 12.30 a.m. So Sheila was like, yeah, we snuck out last night, but I got home by midnight. We dropped her off by midnight or something like that? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this led them to believe 
that maybe she had snuck out twice and got into another car once she got home. Okay. Interestingly enough, this case actually made them change the way they handle Amber Alerts. Hmm. Since it appeared that Skylar had gotten into the car of her own volition, no Amber, no Amber Alert was sent out. Now, they do them regardless, and they actually call it Skylar's Law. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. So this is This is because of that. I mean, I think it's smart. It covers all the bases. Like, I understand being, you know, conservative yes. with your resources, but still, when a child goes missing, it should be just standard practice, even if it is, like, something where they ran off or it's a mistake. Absolutely. In, like, custody arrangements or something like that. It's just better to be safe than sorry, right? Because if they suspect anything other than foul play, you still have to wait 48 hours to file a missing persons report before this law took effect. Gotcha. So when this all went down, Sheila had been a huge comfort to the family, going over to the house and telling them that everything was going to be okay. She seemed really worried, but she tried to stay optimistic about everything as well. Dave and Mary started going around and showing people her picture in hopes that someone had been, you know, had seen her somewhere, but no one had. They ended up holding a candlelight vigil for her, and most of the town came, including Sheila and Rachel. Morgan was away at the time when all this was going on, so she did not attend. She was at camp or something, I think. But she heard about it um, while she was there. Wait, was Morgan one of her, like, three Musketeer friends? No, she was was the other, the original friend. Okay. Before Sheila and Rachel came into the picture. Okay, so Morgan was off at camp when she went missing, too, or just... Um, Yeah. When they were looking for her, basically, presumably. I'm assuming both. Uh, The police started getting calls from people saying that they had seen her all over the country, but none of the leads panned out. So it was just like, she's in New York, she's in California, she's in Idaho, she's, you know, I saw her dancing topless at a bar in Michigan, you know, like stupid yeah, shit like that. Stuff. Yeah, That was not actually one of them, that was just an example. I have no idea if that was one of the <laughs> things or not, but, you know, it's those kind of weird things that people say. Um, they decided to pull Skylar's records and found that she hadn't been using her phone or her debit card, which was not a good sign, and started leading the police to believe that she hadn't actually run away and that something did, in fact, happen to her. During this time, the police learned of a bank robbery that had happened a few towns over and heard that Skylar had been at a party with these bank robbers, so they began to think maybe those two were involved, but this also didn't pan out as it turned out to be just some crazy rumor. The police had to deal with quite a lot of this sort of thing. Mm. Skylar had been missing for a month at this point, and things weren't looking so good. I mean, it's a small town. Mm -hmm. So you think the rumor mill works overtime in small towns because people have less to do? (laughs) Yeah, very, very. And it creates so many probably false leads for, which is probably like a smaller police force, too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was probably the Morgantown police rather than um, Star City. Right. Because it's just, you know. Bigger and Star City probably has like maybe some weird substation for police, but not mm-hmm. an actual police. Yeah, like the force. detectives are probably based out of Morgan Yeah. Town. That's what I would assume anyway. Because like my area, we have like two police officers and that's it, because my area is so small. Yeah, that's how that's how the town I grew up in was too. Yeah. There started to be even more rumors circulating through social media once school started, like that she ran away or she overdosed or that she was in another country. Like, everything just started blowing up. That's crazy. Everybody had their theories. 
none of which were really true. Yeah, again, the rumor mail kind of kicks into overdrive once school's back in session. Oh, and yeah. The kids start sharing stories or what they heard from so-and-so's cousin and blah, blah, blah. Because you're in a small space, that many teenagers. Yep. Maybe they should decide on social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> so one major thing that was found on social media was people saying that Sheila and Rachel had to know something of what was going on because of how close they all were. And they also started to seem distant at school, mm. not from each other, but just from everyone else. They started isolating more so. Yeah. And that's a weird thing, too, because you figure it's either they know something and they're not saying it or they're, you know, traumatized because their exactly. best friend's gone missing. Either one could be true. They could be covering for her somehow or, you know, they could just be like, I don't even want to deal with anything. Let's mm-hmm. just stick with each other and not deal with anyone else. The FBI got involved and started interviewing students at the school. They kept interviewing Sheila and Rachel more than any other students because they were closer to her than anyone else. It got to the point where Dave actually said to the FBI, you need to leave Sheila alone. She's having a hard enough time with all of this. She doesn't know anything. Just stop. Wow. Because they were like badgering her pretty much. The local police also started interviewing the girls over and over. So now they're getting it from both sides. Yeah. Sheila and Rachel told them the same story each time. They had picked Skylar up, drove around, smoked pot, and dropped her back off at home. The police had some evidence that kind of put a few holes in their story, however, and it seemed like they weren't where they said they were. The girls told them that they had driven east, while surveillance footage outside of Sheets had them going west instead. They also knew that they were in Blacksville, the next town over or so, which is oddly enough where the robbery had taken place due to Rachel's cell phone pinging off a tower in that area. Gotcha. Wonders of technology. Mm-hmm. Big Brother is watching, guys. In November, Rachel changed her story finally and said that they did go to Blacksville and that Skylar told them to let her out there. No real reason why about that. Skylar was just like, let me out of the car in Blacksville. Weird. Um, in a strange turn of events, Sheila ended up saying the same thing only a day after. Which mm. doesn't really make sense because how would she have gone home then and gotten into another car? Yeah. there's So either your times are wrong or you're still not telling the truth. Yeah, you're still leaving something out. So students at this point started saying Rachel and Sheila seemed off. And around that time, six months after Skylar went missing, the two stopped going to school. I don't know if they dropped out or if they transferred, but they were no longer attending university high. After a few days, yeah, I'm starting that over. A few days after Christmas, Rachel snapped at home and her mom called the police saying, quote, she's hitting us. She's screaming, end quote. Then you can hear on the 911 call her mother saying something like, give me the phone, and Rachel shouting back, get away from me. Her mother says her husband is, quote, trying to contain her, and in the background, all you can hear is Rachel screaming her head off. Wow. So she's just going completely nuts. Rachel was then put in Chestnut Ridge Center, which is a mental health hospital. She had completely snapped at this point. Like just had a breakdown? Yep. Wow. A little after this, Rachel called the detective on the case and said that she wanted to talk with him with her lawyer. Okay. 
Rachel was clearly stressed during this interview with the police, and she actually had like a trash can by her in case she threw up. When the police started asking whether Skylar overdosed or what happened, what were they hiding, her face turned red, according to the detective, and she blurted out, we stabbed her. What? Yep. They hadn't been suspecting it at all when this happened, but Rachel was so torn up about it, like Mm -hmm. she was so nervous of getting caught, I think, that she just blurted it out. She later told police that both she and Sheila came up with a plan in class one day to kill Skylar. I think it was biology, but I'm not sure. Don't remember from my notes. That's took a really dark turn. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Their reason behind all this, they didn't want to be friends with her anymore because they didn't like her. What? The- yeah, they decided they didn't like her and didn't want to be friends anymore. Uh, Great reason to kill someone. I mean, bravo. Teenagers are literally the worst. They are. I mean, if you don't like someone and you don't want to be their friend anymore, then guess what? Don't be their friend anymore. Just tell them. Exactly. Don't stab them. Stabbing is bad. I mean, you're not a toddler. I don't have to tell you that. You know, stabbing's bad. And you know, if you don't like someone, just leave them alone. Use your words. Yes, exactly. So it was all planned out. I don't know if it was days, weeks, months ahead of time, but they'd been planning it for a while. Uh, Rachel had brought a shovel and cleaning supplies as well as a change of clothes. And Sheila brought two kitchen knives to stab Skylar with. They picked up her up at 12 30 a.m it was in fact sheila's car in the video they drive for miles until they get to the woods they sit and talk probably smoke pots and she said that mm-hmm. in the beginning and that's kind of incriminating so yeah. why would you make that part up so they probably smoked pot then as skylar goes to get back in the car the two girls say on three they count to three and they both stab skylar at the same time oh my god Skylar fought back, but they were both stabbing her repeatedly as Skylar just asked why. That's horrible. Yeah. Like, uh... It's absolutely awful. I felt so horrible when doing my notes with this because I really feel for her. Mm-mm. They tried to bury her, but they couldn't do it. So they covered her body up with some leaves and they changed clothes before driving back to town. When the police asked, Rachel said, this was something I wanted to get done before I go to church camp. Uh, mm, yeah. God. Yeah. I guess maybe she thought once she was at church camp that she could just ask God for forgiveness and everything would be cool. It's God. not how it works. It's not how it works. No. Like, does she think God's just sitting up there on his cloud? Like, well, you prayed for forgiveness. We're five by five now. <laughs> like, what? They found Skylar's body just across the Pennsylvania border. Okay. Or what they assumed were her, was her body, at least at this time. The police continued their investigation even after this confession, and they didn't even tell anyone about the confession at all. Rachel was not arrested. They didn't tell anyone about the confession. They let it go for now. So, like, let's verify this before we arrest her sort of thing? Yeah, even all her parents knew was just that they found a body that they thought might be hers. Uh, This was so that they could lull Sheila into a false sense of security, so maybe she would confess too. Also, the police weren't completely sure if Rachel was telling the truth even at this time. That's fair. I mean, she Makes isn't sense. exactly the most reliable source since she did just suffer Not a breakdown, at all. right? Yeah, exactly. According to Morgan, when she had talked to Sheila, she really seemed to be grieving and actually said to her, why would someone do this? That's... Yeah. 
if she did do this with Rachel, mm-hmm. that's bone chilling. Yes, exactly. So they decided to plan a sting operation on Sheila. Rachel would have Sheila come over and there'd be hidden cameras around and just get her to confess. It didn't work. They just kind of hung out. Mm-hmm. No one said anything. Everything seemed normal. So they decided to get a search warrant next instead to search Sheila's house and her car. They ended up finding blood in her car, which they sent away to be tested against Skylar's DNA. Okay. It was at this point that the body was the body that had been found mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania was officially declared to be that of Skylar Niece. Sheila even then pretended to grieve and asked, Who do you think could have done this? Sheila, I think we know. Give it up already. Well, I mean, she doesn't know that they know. True, but God. Oh, she annoys me. She said the same thing to her friend Christy Swanson, not of Buffy fame. I'm like, what? Yeah, I laughed my ass off when I heard the name Christy Swanson. It's like quite the pen pal. Yeah. Yet again, saying that she was so upset and how could anyone do this? Why, why, why? Mm -hmm. I'll get more into their tweets and stuff later, but around this time, Sheila actually tweeted, however cryptically, we really did go on three. (gasps) Yep. Seriously, Sheila? She made me so mad through all of this research. She isn't showing any remorse at all. And all she's doing is saying, why would someone do this? And it's just for show. And there isn't an ounce of remorse anywhere to be seen. Like at this point, I'm feeling like she was the mastermind because like it seems like poor Rachel oh, yeah. like kind of got sucked into it. And, I mean, I'm and still like, not going to say poor Rachel because who knows? Fair. That's fair. But Rachel does seem more remorseful, yes. which I'll get into. But she seems to have a at least an ounce of compassion slash conscience. Sheila is just like, hmm, today's another day. We really did go on three. Are you freaking kidding me? Mm-mm. Yeah, that made me really mad. A little after this, the blood test came back from what was found in the car, and it was Skyler's. So police came clean to the parents and told them that Sheila and Rachel were the ones who murdered their daughter, and they were ready to make their arrests. Rachel had made a deal with police for her cooperation and pled guilty. Okay. Sheila, on the other hand, was out to eat at Cracker Barrel with her mom. Because, of course. Yes. When she was arrested, I mean, you got to go for that that uh, that cornbread. You got to get that sawmill gravy while you can. Exactly. And the chicken fried chicken. So, she was out with her mom at Cracker Barrel when she was arrested, and she started crying. You mean my actions have consequences? Really? I didn't know this. <laughs> so, yes, Sheila... The truth always does find a way to come out. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Mm-hmm. That's my tweet. Mm-hmm. Sheila, still not really getting that the chickens had come home to roost, pled not guilty. I saw courtroom footage of her and she was smiling away as brazen as she pleases, looking like, but you guys, I'm a pretty blonde girl. She was even smiling in her mugshot. Wow. That's that something is not 100% right with her. No. No, it just seems like I'm above all this, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smiling. It started to really come out, and you could see it from some of the pictures shown on this episode of Dateline that I watched, that Sheila and Rachel had gotten sick of Skylar by sophomore year, and people said that they would talk about her behind her back, that they had been fighting, and things like that. Rachel's one friend, Fantasia, even said Rachel told her, I wouldn't mind if she died, referring to Skylar. Wow. Yeah. 
so that's Rachel saying this too. So so not a hundred percent like poor not, me. Yeah, not one hundred percent poor Rachel. Mm-hmm. While it hasn't been proven, there was a rumor going around that Sheila and Rachel were either seeing each other or at least having sex, and that Skylar found out about this and they killed her to keep quiet. As far as sentencing goes, Rachel got her plea deal and was sentenced to 30 years in prison with a possibility of parole in 10, and Sheila got life in prison with a possibility of parole in 15. There were charges filed federally and locally in West Virginia and Pennsylvania, however. Mm-hmm. So Sheila eventually pled guilty too, and the PA charges were dropped. Both are held in Lakin Correctional Facility. While Rachel seems remorseful, there's nothing I have found to suggest that Sheila is in the least bit remorseful still. Rachel had been quoted as saying, I deserve to be in here, referring to prison. Now for some tweets from all three girls. So two days before she was killed, Skylar tweeted, quote, Sick of being at fucking home. Thanks, friends. Friends is in quotes. Love hanging out with you too. One day before her murder, she tweeted, You doing shit like this is why I can never completely trust you. Wow. Yeah. It really seems like all this was building for quite a while Mm -hmm. with tweets like that. After they murdered Skylar, Sheila just kept tweeting about really normal stuff and posting pictures of herself and Rachel looking completely nonplussed. They were just like, this doesn't bother us at all. So she tweeted, no one on this earth can handle me and and Rachel. If you think you can, you're wrong. I don't know if that was relating to Skylar or not. Yeah, that's weird. It sounds kind of... Yeah, exactly. And another like normal stuff that's just chilling considering what happened is like uh, she tweeted, staying home on a Tuesday is the best because Law & Order SVU is on all day. Oh my God. I mean, I'm not going to argue with her on that, but <laughs> still, that's really not cool. Mm-mm. It just goes to show how little she fucking cares Yeah, that she just murdered her friend in cold blood. She had the nerve to tweet this one right after Skylar's body was found. Rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever even know. As well as tweeting, worst day of my whole life. Again, I say, seriously, Sheila? Mm. There's honestly no way in hell you can convince me that Sheila has any remorse or or feels any sense of guilt over what she's done. Rachel, perhaps, but she was still smiling in her mugshot as well. So who knows? Her meltdown may have just been because she was afraid of, of getting caught. So I also, like, I really don't like Sheila for more than just this stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the face you gave her, like, oh, you don't say. You haven't made that clear <laughs> enough yet. Um, But because she was like, she went to the family and was like their bedrock during this time. How dare you? Yeah, that's very, I don't want to use the word psychotic, but it's very. Dud, I would use that word. It, it reminds me of almost like a criminal return to the scene of the crime. Absolutely. But instead it's like, I want to see. You want to be like. Involved. Yeah. You I need to be, be involved. Right up in there. Yeah. With the people whose lives you just destroyed. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, it's another case like, was it my last true crime one? Uh. Justin, Justin yeah, back. Yeah, Justin back. Yeah, a little bit. Where it was kind of like... You love you these killer n- teens. You, I know, right? It was like pretty much like you you are pretty damn sure that they would have killed again. Yeah. She seems like she would have killed again because she feels that her actions have no consequence. 
She feels that she can do whatever she wants. She shows no remorse. Mm -hmm. She was just that manipulative with the parents being like, oh, cry on my shoulder. Like, how? Yeah, it makes it, it makes me wonder, too, just about the dynamic between not just the three girls, but also between uh, Sheila and Rachel. And, yeah. And what was going on there where it sort of uh, has like hints of like the man, like Voidu, like the madness of two people and how like when two people, especially like, you know, teenage girls, mm, oh, it's like yeah. so intense and hormones and teenage you know, girls suck. They do. I was one. We suck. <laughs> yeah. I totally own it's that. Because I mean, being a teenager alone, you have so many hormones mm-hmm. and all this stuff like just raging through your body, making you kind of nuts. I was there. I was nuts too. Yep. Um, but then being a girl on top of it, girls are usually more emotional than guys, or at least more, what's the word I'm looking for? They express it more openly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So teenagers. Teenagers suck. <laughs> we still love you, teenage listeners, though. Yeah. I'm sure you know how sucky it is to be a teenager. Exactly. It sucks to be a teenager. This. People are like, oh, those are the best years of your life. Fuck no, they're not. They are lying. I they are hated lying high to school. You. <laughs> I absolutely freaking hated high school. I had very few friends, except senior year. I think it was just because everyone felt this weird sense of camaraderie. Because you're escaping. Because you're getting out. Yeah. And then people that never talked to you before are just like, I'm going to miss you so much. Really? Do you know my name? Well, that's kind of like when you're in your early 20s. And, and you like, start seeing people yeah, in high and school. Yeah, and they're like, oh my God, hey. You're like, you didn't talk to me for like four years. Exactly. I guess I'll stop and have a two-minute conversation you with you You used to, to make polite. fun of me in high school. And now Ugh. you're like, how are you? What's up? I miss you so much. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't no. know me. And yes, if any of our listeners are in high school, this will happen to you too. This is like just a known fact about the universe. Mm-hmm. This happens. I mean, I still, I, I feel like high school is like one of those things when I get like my high school reunions, I'm like, I'm still friends with the people that I enjoyed from high school, so I don't need to go to this. Well, Facebook Pass. and other social media has made it kind of not necessary to have these reunions. Exactly. And if I wanted to have a reunion, I would just have one on my own. I'd be like, hey, cool people that I was friends with in high school who were actually nice. I'm having Let's a barbecue. Come on yeah. over. <laughs> Rather than I have to see this person that I never talked to Ugh. or that I only had bad exchanges with. Yeah. Yeah. And don't worry, kids, I will say that it gets better after high school. It really does. College is fun. You'll like college. Yeah, college is fun. Your 20s are great. It does get better. Those are probably the best times of your life. Exactly. When you're in your 20s. And, and then when you hit 30, it's all downhill from the... No, I'm joking. It's fine. 30 is fine. 30 is fine. 40, I'm still afraid of, but 30 is fine. Um, Your story did remind me a little bit of... Uh, so one of my favorite slash first true crime novel writers i guess they're novels well writers okay that i remember reading was aphrodite jones that name sounds familiar she wrote um all he she wanted which is about like brendan tina which they based uh boys don't cry off oh okay um but she also wrote this other book called cruel sacrifice um about the shanda shara murder sounds like an angsty 90s fem rock song a little bit a little bit but it, it, it was about this girl who was 12, uh, Shonda Shearer, who was murdered in Indiana by four other teenage girls that she was friends with. Oh, shit. And it, it, it's a little bit similar. It has like similarities where, um, you know, they kind of lured her out to the woods and these girls were friends, like murdered her and, yeah. you know, burned her body and stuff. There's a, a lot more going on in that case because there's just more personalities and there's a lot more backstory with just, you know, heartbreak and there's some, you know, weird lesbian relationships going on between some of the girls and a lot of like jealousy but yeah this this very much reminds me of just like 
the viciousness of, of teenage girls. Oh, yeah. Teenage girls are horrible sometimes. Yeah. They're just as bad as teenage boys. It's funny, though, because here's the difference between teenage boys and teenage girls. Half the time, teenage boys will punch each other in the face and come out friends. Mm-hmm. Teenage girls will pretend to be friends on the surface, but they will do the most catty, horrible things to each other behind each other's backs. It's true. It's true. And gay men are the same way. Sure. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I've lived it, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how lesbians fight each other. I'm assuming it's just the basic girl way, though. There's the basic girl way, and then there's the, uh, you know, I'm going to steal your cat. I mean, I don't... I'm going to steal your cat. (laughs) I'm not going to water your plants, even though you asked me to. Exactly. Oh, there, take that. (laughs) Now your plant's going to be slightly dehydrated. That's my Indigo Girls CD. (laughs) So... I guess you already told me what you think of my story. So having Nicole, what do you think? And my notes isn't going to matter much. <laughs> no, it's 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 definitely interesting. It also made, made me think for a moment about. Um, at first, I thought it was going in the direction of like the Slenderman. Uh, that's another a thing bit. that I was going to mention too. Um, but in my research, like the like the untold story of the Slenderman mm-hmm. murders, like popped up, and I was like, oh, I'll save this video for later and watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally different cases, different circumstances. Like I I think uh, Sheila and Rachel. We're just much more vicious and mean. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And like I said, Rachel's not off the hook. She very much was involved in this and very much deserves to be in prison. Yeah. And she clearly knew it was wrong. And she knew it was wrong. Yeah. But Sheila definitely won up to Rachel in. Yeah. 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 God, girls suck. All I can do is shake my head and say, seriously, freaking Sheila. What the hell? Unfriended Sheila. Exactly. Okay. So my sources for this week. Where Wikipedia, uh, Dateline, NBC, a YouTube video called uh, a video by someone called Lyra Pretty. The video was titled "Skylar Niece Murdered by Her Best Friends." ABCNews.go.com, CrimeOnline.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, and a book called "The Savage Murder of Skylar Niece: The Truth Behind the Headlines." I said a lot of varied sources this week. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it wasn't fun because I got really depressed afterwards. Yes. But <laughs> It was nice to have lots of sources, but also depressing to kind of dig through them, I bet. Exactly. I watched South Park afterwards so I could cheer myself up. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I guess we're taking a little break. I have a pretty delightful, in my opinion, paranormal destination for us. Oh, okay. I think it's unique. I don't think we've gone to a place like this before yet, so... I'm very interested now. Get ready. Now you got me wondering. Can't even short a break now. Thanks very much. (laughs) All right, Roadsters. We'll be back in a moment. And we are back. We're back. And I think Salem is in Nicole's purse, but I'm not sure what's going on over there. No, he just likes to cuddle against it because it's a sweet, sweet material that feels awful to humans. But cats love, of course, (laughs) because cats. Because cats. So, Nicole, you have a non-cat-related story. I do, for once. Let's have some fun. Our stop today is in Princeton, West Virginia. Not Princeton, New Jersey. West Virginia. It's a town of about 6,400 people. It's located along the southern border of West Virginia and Virginia. Uh, Princeton is part of the Bluefield Micro 
micropolitan area. Which Micropolitan? Yes. I had never heard of micropolitan either. No. So I did look it up because I had to know. Do tell. It's basically an area where a bunch of people live and work, but they're clustered in smaller urban centers versus like oh, one single large city. Okay. So picture something like, you know, maybe a bunch of small cities with like populations of like, you know, 40,000 people. Yeah. And that's it. That would be a micropolitan area versus like a metropolitan area, which would be like a huge city yeah. with a couple hundred thousand people and then smaller suburbs around it. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, you can tell how much of a life I don't have by how excited I got over knowing what a micropolitan <laughs> area was. So Princeton is part of the Bloomfield micropolitan area, which is, again, obviously a bunch of smaller cities. And it's actually two counties, Mercer County, which is in West Virginia, and Tazewell County, which is in Virginia. Overall, the population of this area is about 100,000 people. So it's relatively well populated, but it's still pretty small town feeling. Now, tucked away in Princeton is a place that used to be the home of thrills and amusement before tragic events led to abandonment and decay. So today, join me while we- I love abandonment and decay. What two of my favorite things. Now, join me as we visit Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Ooh, okay, Abandoned Amusement Park. Yes. I am down for this. I was super excited when I came across this story because I don't think we've gone to an abandoned park before. Well, amusement park at least. So this seemed like a really cool story. In the 1920s, southern West Virginia's coal industry was booming. New rail lines went in that helped the mines expand. And as the mines expanded, they needed more coal miners. So more men and their families would settle in southern West Virginia to fulfill this need. All right. Sounds, you know, normal. Yeah, normal, right? Entrepreneur Connolly T. Snindow noticed that the local entertainment options in this area of West Virginia were pretty lacking. So, being the enterprising guy that he was, he purchased several acres near Princeton, West Virginia to develop into a family amusement park. All right. You go, weird name guy. Mm-hmm. The 1920s was the tail end of the golden age for amusement parks. So Sindo had examples of several other successful parks to base his own off of. Parks like Luna Park and Dreamland in Coney Island or White City in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. So it kind of gave him a blueprint of how to be successful in the amusement park biz. Alrighty. Now for his park, Sindo constructed a swimming hole, Ferris wheel, and a swing ride. He named the park Lake Shawnee and opened the gates for guests in 1926. As attendance grew, Sindow added more features to the park, such as a racetrack, concession stands, a dance hall, and cabins for folks who wanted to stay overnight. Convenient. Now, Sindow was sure he had struck gold with this amusement park, and it did indeed look like a profitable business in the first decade or so of operation. However, longtime locals who had grown up in the Princeton area were far less enthusiastic about Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. They believed it was probably cursed and headed towards doom. Oh, okay. You see, the land that Sindow had purchased was available for purchase because it was originally owned by the Clay family, who were some of the first white settlers in Mercer County. All right. They lived on the land, which was then known as Clover Bottom, from 1775 to 1783. During that time, their land was on the edge of the frontier territory claimed by local Native American Shawnee tribes. These tribes regularly conducted raiding parties on white settlements during the Revolutionary War, including destroying the nearby Bluestone settlement in 1778, but the Clay homestead was lucky enough to never really be a target. That was until late August or September of 1782 or 1783, depending on who you ask. 
Mitchell Clay, the patriarch, and a neighbor had left their homestead to go on a deer hunt as part of the food stockpiling for winter. Clay's wife, Phoebe, and his 13 children had remained at home. A day or two after the men had left and there was no sign of Shawnee presence or any other dangers, the three oldest Clay sons also set out to hunt, while two of the younger boys, Bartley and Ezekiel, fenced in the wheat stacks and wrapped up some other harvesting preparations. Phoebe sent one of the older girls, Tabitha, down to the river to wash clothes with the help of her younger siblings. Unbeknownst to the Clay family, a raiding party of about 11 Shawnee were returning from an unsuccessful attempt to steal horses from another settlement. And this group observed the activity at the Clay homestead as they passed. So they saw the men leaving. They saw the women and children basically out doing chores. Okay. And it seemed like pretty easy pickings for this raiding party who had been unsuccessful. I've been playing a lot of Fallout lately as well because of everything that's going on. And now I'm just thinking of fighting the raiders on there. So you're like, oh, great. <laughs> like raiders fun. Now, the raiding party crept into the field where Bartley and Ezekiel Clay were working on the fence. They attacked and killed Bartley pretty quickly and managed to capture Ezekiel. At the river, Tabitha heard the commotion and started rushing back towards the house, ushering the younger children along as well. Unfortunately, the path back to the house took her directly to the field where one of the raiding party members was busy trying to scalp the body of Bartley. As the younger children headed for the house, Tabitha rushed over to stop the man from scalping her dead brother and possibly try to rescue her other brother, Ezekiel, who was being held captive. She grabbed the knife and began to struggle with the man. Meanwhile, back at the Clay house, a neighbor named Lincoln Blankenship had, had stopped to visit Phoebe Clay. Seeing the life-and-death struggle in the field and the other children fleeing back to the house, Phoebe begged Blankenship to run outside and save Tabitha because he was carrying a musket. However, Blankenship only had a single shot musket, and he didn't think he could actually take a shot to kill the Shawnee man without seriously wounding Tabitha. After a few awful moments of deliberating, it didn't matter anyway, because the man managed to rip the knife back from Tabitha and quickly stabbed her to death. Oh, God. Okay, great. Wonderful. S yep. As the raiding party continued to scalp and loop the Clay children's bodies, Blankenship and the remaining Clays formed a plan. Blankenship would draw the men away from the homestead and lead them towards the larger settlement at New River. There, he could find additional settlers for backup and hopefully fight off the Shawnee. The Clays, meanwhile, would run in the opposite direction over the mountain to the next closest homestead. When Blankenship saw the raiding party retreating into the woods, he made his move and left the house. He stopped briefly to check on the bodies of the Clay children just to make sure they were dead and didn't need any assistance before he rushed off towards New River. Well, that was kind of him. Yeah. The raiding party, thinking that Blankenship had gone to recover the bodies, moved up along the river to intercept him when he returned to the house. However, that was not Blankenship's plan, and it gave him just enough distance to get a good head start on the trail to New River, and he took off running towards the settlement. The raiding party chased him down the trail. As he was running for miles at this point, Blankenship would occasionally need to rest, obviously. He did something really clever. He would leave the trail, making sure that the Shawnee saw him disappear into the woods. He would then trek further into the woods and continue progressing towards New River. The raiding party would slow down and hunt the area where they last saw him on the trail. After resting, Blankenship would then go back to the trail further up, making sure that the raiding party saw him, and then would take off running towards the settlement again. This distracting chase gave the Clay family enough time to safely escape the homestead. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Mitchell Clay and his sons returned from their hunt in the late afternoon and found the bodies of their family members and the abandoned homestead. 
Clay, for his part, assumed that his family had been taken captive by the Shawnee. So after bringing Bartley and Tabitha's body into the house, they set off for reinforcements at New River to rescue the rest of his family. They met up with a militia party that Blankenship had recruited from the settlement. And they all went off together in pursuit of the raiding party, who still had Ezekiel Clay as hostage. The next morning, the militia party found part of the Shawnee raiding group and slaughtered them. Ooh, okay. They basically killed them in revenge. They did not find Ezekiel Clay with them, however. One account that I read was pretty brutal and said that Mitchell, Mitchell Clay's sons actually took strips of skin from the dead man's back as a gruesome memento and in retaliation for their siblings' scalpings. So they didn't just kill them, like they butchered they, them. Yeah. Okay. Um, Gray? Yeah. I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. And it gets worse. Oh, thanks for that, Nicole. This is a really cheery story you're telling. It's amusement park history. <laughs> it's so amusing. Oh, okay. Later that day, the militia party came across the raiding party's previous camp. There, they found the remains of Ezekiel Clay, who had been tied to a stake and burned alive. His father brought the body back to the homestead at Clover Bottom and buried it alongside his brother and sister. Their mother, Phoebe, absolutely refused to return to the homestead, and the family then moved to the New River settlement permanently. So legends about this raid at the Clay family homestead had persisted in the local community for several generations. Everybody knew about it. It was part of the local folklore. And specifically, the Clay family's murder and also their retaliation People kind of talked about how it had poisoned and cursed the land. I could see where they would think it'd be cursed at this point. Now, either Kindly Snindow didn't know about this local legend when he bought the land to build his amusement park, or he just didn't believe in he them. He just, yeah, didn't care. However, that did not stop the tragedy that was yet to come. Before Lake Shawnee Amusement Park closed down in 1966, at least six people would die on property. The two most notorious deaths were those of young children. Oh, God. Okay, fine. I'll listen if I have to. <laughs> in the 1950s, a little girl was killed on the swing ride when a delivery truck backed up into the ride and crushed her. Oh. In the 1960s, a little boy went missing in the park. His body was eventually found floating in the park's swimming pool. Oh, man. And they eventually filled that park part of the park in very quickly afterwards. Why did it have to be kids? Okay, there's only two things that get me. I mean... Not that killing adults is great either, mm-hmm. but it doesn't affect me as much as children dying or especially animals dying. Yeah, I, I feel it's always sad too. Like amusement parks are supposed to be, you know, just for that amusement. A little bit of risk with still being safe. And just when you hear about like people, you know, dying at amusement parks for various reasons, usually it's accidental or something like that. It's just always a little extra tragic, I think. Yeah. So Shawnee Lake Amusement Parks was closed in 1966, and it remained closed until it was purchased by Gaylord White, who was a former employee, and he purchased the park land in 1985. Now, White planned to reopen the park and did manage to get it up and running by 1987. The park had three successful years before skyrocketing insurance rates forced White to close the park in 1990. Wait, so how long in total was this place open for? So it was opened for like 40 years from like 1926 to 66 when Cinda owned it. And that's when people died on the property. Yeah. And then it stood basically for another like 20 oddish years before 
uh, Gaylord White purchased it and opened it up again. Okay, that's not bad. Then it was open for three years and it closed in the 90s, but that didn't stop White from using the land the park was built on for entertainment. In the early 90s, he set up the park so it could be used for mud bogging, which I'd never heard of, but apparently mud bogging is a very popular off-road motorsport where you drive like big off-road vehicles through a mud pit or a super muddy track and oh. kind of just, you know, have fun. When he was using a bulldozer to plow new tracks, he made a startling discovery. He found a bunch of Shawnee artifacts, things like pottery and arrowheads. It's always arrowheads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, professional archaeologists and anthropologists came in and conducted a dig. They determined that aside from the clay family bones they found on the property, the land was also the final resting place for at least 13 Shawnee, uh, most of whom were children, and they found quite a few ceremonial objects aside from pottery and arrowheads. After this discovery, the tales of haunting that had persisted among locals exploded again. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Right, because it's in the you news. You just find all like, this fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Former employees of Lake Shawnee Amusement Park came forward with all sorts of frightening and strange experiences. One of the most frequently seen ghosts that former employees had reported was the ghost of a little girl in a pink ruffly dress covered in blood. She'd usually appear near the swing ride. That's so, very cheery. Yeah, it's very cheery. Uh, people think that this is the little spirit of the little girl who was killed in the 1950s on the swing ride. Uh, people who have seen this apparition say they have a f- strange feeling of weight on their shoulders. And when no. they look up to see the girl, they can't move until the girl disappears. Nope. Nope. Giant nope. Not doing it. <laughs> uh, others who have actually examined the decaying swing ride, because it's still there in the park, notice that if you place your hand on a swing seat, it'll start to move a little bit under your hand. It'll start to feel freezing cold, like there's a cold breeze suddenly blowing underneath the swing. And then suddenly, if you move your hands towards the center of the seat, it'll get warm, almost like someone's sitting there or had, or had just been sitting there. People assume that it's the little girl's spirit. Not at all creepy. Not at all anything that relates to a haunting. Mm-mm. Just normal, everyday stuff in an abandoned amusement park. Absolutely. I mean, abandoned amusement parks aren't creepy enough on their own, so we need this crap. Mm-hmm. That's how, like, I ended up, um, probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you know Bushkill Park, right? Vaguely. Okay. Well, I used to go there a lot as a kid. It's a local um, amusement park that closed down a long while back. And I think like somewhere in college, I got really into photography. So I went there and snuck in and took a bunch of pictures of the abandoned amusement park. And those are some really freaking creepy pictures that I wish I I still had today. I bet. So that's pretty creepy, the swing ride, right? Um, Also, I think I may have forgotten to mention that because um, Lake Shawnee Amusement Park has closed down, Pretty much is like off of wooden, like the road to get there has become overgrown and the woods have started to re-encroach on the property. Okay. So nature is taking over again. Yep. Yep. And it's pretty much all surrounded by trees. And a lot of visitors have reported hearing chanting. They say in a language they can't quite understand, it could possibly be some kind of Shawnee language. Um, At night, they'll hear this chanting. nope. And then they'll see shadows moving among the trees. Again, nope. (laughs) Uh, also, the visitors have seen the ghost of what everyone assumes is Tabitha Clay. 
Okay. Um, they say they see a young woman who's dressed very much like the revolutionary period walking in like a forlorn manner up a lonely path that leads to where the old clay homestead reportedly stood. Um, so almost like she's walking through her last moments again. Great. Because that's what you want to hear. Yep. Family fun times. (laughs) (laughs) Family fun times at the amusement park. Maybe that can be the episode title. (laughs) Now, the White family still own the property to this day, and they, too, have captured some really odd things on the security footage that they have set up around the perimeter of the park. Oh, nice. They've seen things like the safety bars on the Ferris wheels all unlatching by unseen hands in the middle of the night. Okay, guys, don't go. Don't go to the Sydney's <laughs> the Park and try any rides. <laughs> well, you can't really. They're all they're all sort of like dilapidated and like it, it's pretty spooky. Um, the cool thing is, though, that the Whites will actually welcome visitors to the property, and they do things like campfire stories, haunted tours, and dark carnivals, and they've been doing it since oh, the late cool. 90s. Okay, I would definitely want to go there then. Yeah, they still do it today. Um, you can actually check it out for yourself. They usually do a dark carnival uh, around the Halloween season. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, or I found more information at visitwy.com about Shawnee Lake Amusement Park's dark carnival. Um, needless to say, this property has been investigated like a ton of times. Yeah. Because like who can resist like an abandoned haunted amusement park? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's popped up on shows like Discovery's Ghost Lab, uh, The Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America, and The Dead Files. Okay. One of my personal favorites. I, when you said Travel Channel, I thought you were going to say Ghost Adventures. Nope. Nope. Dead Files. So I love the Dead Files. I think I've talked about it before. It's it's your um your vacation um, yeah. watch before bed show yes. for whatever the hell fucking reason. <laughs> I just it's like one of those things. I turn it on. I'm always like I can't look away. It's, <laughs> it's like good, but it's awful at the same time. One of those like things. Um, I did watch an episode, the the episode where they go to Shawnee Lake Amusement Park, um, and according to the psychic investigator Amy, the park is home to a vengeful group of ghosts who will stop at nothing to get the land back. Oh, shit. Okay. And she does talk a little bit about sensing the spirit of Tabitha Clay. Okay. I would imagine because she died in a horrible way. Yeah. So. And, and her take was like she senses like a young girl who's still being pursued by a male that killed her. Oh. So that's because, really not good. Yeah. They kind of say that like, you know, because the Shawnee that the Clays also murdered were basically on the land where the park is built too. It's yeah. All kind of people like ghosts trapped there. So the I when I watched this par- this Dead Files episode, mm-hmm. it was kind of great because like, you know, have you watched the show before? I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. I like it. It's so you fun. Know at the end where they do the breakdown as like the detective's telling his story and the psychic's telling her story. Yes. And like the faces, because they talk to the whites who own this property, who are very well versed in the history, who like know about the ghosts. They've experienced these ghosts, you know, for over 30, 40 years now. Their faces that they were making were absolutely priceless as like the psychic was like telling them about what she sensed on the property. Oh God, okay. Because she made it sound way more terrifying and way more sinister. And these people are like, we love this place. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to stop and like pause the Daily Motion clip and just be like, I can't even right now. Oh it's God, you watched in the Daily Motion. Yes. Did you experience my pain? Of- yes, I did. Okay, yes, yeah. I did. As I mentioned before, you can totally check out Lake Shawnee Park during their dark carnival event every year. Eden. Please do, because I'm sure we will be there at some point. So if you want to meet us, we'll know, be there. Right? I'm like, I would totally go to that, right? What'd you think? Would you, you, you I would definitely go there, be absolutely. down. Absolutely. Okay, it's the two things that scare me the most for some reason when it comes to like weird haunted abandoned places 
are abandoned amusement parks and like weird like wax museums. That's fair. Yeah. Like if there's horror movies based in either one, I will watch it. I sat through House of Wax and it sucked. I sat through Waxworks, which also sucked. Um, (laughs) I sat through Carnival of Souls, which I thought sucked at the time, but I keep hearing so many good things about it that I want to watch it again. The one from the 60s. Okay. What was that? Oh, my God. It was like one of the Critter ep- uh, movies or the second Critters. Oh, critters. Oh, I forgot about Critters. Because like that all takes place at like an amusement park or a fair or something. Something like that. Terrifying. Yeah. Oh, that's what scarred me for life. Yeah. For life. Well, I guess I should tell you my sources, huh? That might be good. Don't forget like I did. <laughs> My sources for this story were, of course, Wikipedia, visitmercercounty.com, the New York Daily News, theculturetrip.com, a book entitled A History of the Middle New River Settlements and Contiguous Territory by David E. Johnston, Wyoming County Report, the Dead Files episode Terrorland at Shawnee Lake, West Virginia, courtesy of Daily Motion. An article from the Charleston Thanks, sort of Daily Motion. Like sort of Daily Motion. An article from the Charleston Gazette Mail and an article from the Registry Herald. Huh. Okay. So I mean, you had to sit through Daily Motion, which is awesome because I do sometimes to watch little clips. And like yeah, I said yeah. before, they always end up doing something weird. Yeah, it like weirdly jumped when I would try to like yep. rewind it. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I, I watch half of whatever I try to watch in Daily Motion. I'm just like, I can't anymore. Thank you for putting it on here, but just no, fix your website. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's uh, that's it for this week, yeah, Roadsters. I had fun. I think this is a pretty good one. Yeah, I'm excited to see what I can dig up for a good true crime story for next week. Eden's already teased me that he has a pretty good paranormal story. So I definitely do. Um, it's funny. I wish I could record myself doing my notes. Most of it would be boring because it's just me typing and being like, okay, so this happened, you know, but then, um, there's times I'm just like, what the, are you fucking serious? Are you serious right now? Okay. Oh, write that down. That's going to be good. That's going to be good. They're going to like that. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was people that listen. Meanwhile, as I'm doing my notes, I'm just like busting out straight up laughing, watching the dead files because I can't take the faces anymore. Yeah. I'm just like, I started laughing at one point. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh my God, I just can't. I'm watching this clip. <laughs> I can't. There's very few times when I laugh while doing my notes because most of the time I'm just like. Horrified. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the true crime ones because I'm just like. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. I just feel so bad for everyone involved mm-hmm. that I'm just like, oh. But the only time that I like laughed out loud was a more recent episode. I forget which state it was now, but one of the ones that we recently did. Ohio. With Pearl, um, oh, Maine, yeah, that was Maine, yeah, it was Maine. Um, with the that's a pretty strong smell, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh. murder, that's a pretty strong word, <laughs> that's a pretty strong smell, yeah, oh, yeah, good stuff, yeah, definitely. That I was just like, oh, that's priceless, I am putting this in my notes. <laughs> well, roadsters, if you would like to contact us, you can do so at our social media accounts we're on facebook and instagram at roadside horror show or on twitter at roadside horror you can also go to our website which is roadside show.podbean.com or email us if you feel like talking because we feel like talking especially during this time where we can't see anybody uh so email us at roadside horror show 
at gmail.com. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank E. Massey for our wonderful music and Yox Rocks Design for our killer logo. Until next time, Roadsters. Creep on, creeping on. Creepin on.